0: Last week, Jason delivered a message to us. It was great, and it was totally full of crap. A little better. Uh, but what he did address was um, in Philippians three. He, you know, he talked about how we have a lot of crap in our lives and that we need to get rid of. If you know, and pressing towards the goal, heavenly goal, relationship with God. We have a lot of things that we need to get rid of, Um, and some, some of these things we put in front of us ourselves, some things we allow to get in the way, other things are placed in front of us. Paul was writing from prison, it was hard for him to do the work that he needed to do, but he had the opportunity to write a letter and teach a really valuable lesson here. And last week's message really got me thinking, and I hope got others thinking, Uh, about the question, okay, how do we do that? What do we do now? Okay, I I know that I need to get rid of this. How do I do it? And I think that Paul in Philippians 4 addresses that question just in what he's saying to the church. And I think the answer to that question is that we need to stay connected. We need to stay connected to God. We need to stay connected to others we're just going to do, we're going to cover chapter 4, verses 4 through 13 altogether. So it's not going to be the entire chapter, but most of it. Uh, Starting in verse 4. Okay, I'll just read it out loud. If you have a minute to turn, that's fine. If not, I will read it out loud So. Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's It's very commanding, and it's very obvious that this is a perpetual thing that is supposed to happen. Continuous rejoicing always. And he wants to get this point across. How do we do that? Uh, I think with Christians, non Christians, humans, nature in general, uh, we tend to rejoice, kind of give God credit where credit is due, whether it's winning the Super Bowl or, um, you know, times when it seems really easy to rejoice. And even in times when it's difficult to rejoice, we tend to look back. On those times and find where God was and what God taught us through those times. So it's the times that there isn't something really good or something really bad. It's this steady, continuous, all the time, how do we rejoice all the time? Because if we're rejoicing all the time, then it's going to mean that much more when things are great and it's going to be that much more important when things are bad. Verses 5 through 7, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It seems so simple, (laughs) but it can really be quite difficult to live like this. Let your gentleness be known to others he doesn 't say be gentle it 's hard to take something like that and just be that way and to act a certain way you can 't pretend to be gentle. People pick up on that, they absorb that as something that 's coming from within you, and I think Paul goes on to explain how that happens in our connection with God, which is the first part of the verse first, first part of the chapter. He's really focusing on how we do stay connected to God all the time because then it shows itself in how we connect with others in the second half of the chapter. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything in prayer and petition and supplication with thanksgiving. Anxiety is the opposite of prayer. And for me that's a really difficult concept to grasp because I tend to pray when I'm anxious. I'm looking for a job right now, and I have a job that's okay. Uh, I publish legal encyclopedias, which is not exciting as it sounds. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's served a purpose, and it's been a great job for me, and um, I've needed to support my kids, and I like the environment. It's a good place to be. Um, but in the last year, I kind of have bookend events that happened that took me to why I'm looking for a job today. About a year ago, I've been crawling my way through seminary. I've been getting into this ministry and kind of trying to figure out my calling um, from God and feel like I'm following some leads. And last year, I came across a picture when I was looking for something completely unrelated to the picture I found and it was a picture of a boy who was naked and crying and he was standing next to a like a faucet and there was no water and the caption was that he was crying because there was no water and that like devastated me <laughs> and, um, and I wanted I knew that it was hitting me hard enough that I knew I needed to do something about it. I didn't, but I knew I needed to. And I had two thoughts that went through my mind, and the first of which was, I really just wanna bring this boy some water, you know? And the second was I'm a little bit angry at the person who's taking this poor boy's picture (laughs) with some probably very expensive camera, but yes, there's a message that needs to be Relate, and so it just really hit me hard and then but it wasn't it wasn't time for me to do anything I was comfortable in my position in my job and I couldn't make any big changes and then this <laughs> a, oh, a month month and a half ago maybe something at work it was a Monday morning, something happened at work, and it was minor, but it was as close to the, your TPS reports need covers, you know, as I could get. And I just, that was it. That was it for me. And I said, okay, now it's time to answer that question. And, I, and it, it could have not been the work situation. It could have been God saying, okay, now it's time. But I knew that a change needed to happen. And so I've been looking for jobs and community organizations, something where I can feel like I'm answering this boy's need on a bigger scale, or at least on a immediately bigger scale. If it's in the boundaries of the city of Rochester, that's fine, but at least it's an answer to that question and an answer to the call, I feel like I've received from God. But in doing so, I, I kind of felt like once I responded to that, that I was gonna get a job right away. (laughs) And okay, I know what I need to do, I'm gonna do it. And I started putting in resumes and I was expecting a call the next day and that's just how I am. But I didn't have any sort of patience about it and I still don't. And at one point I actually, (laughs) I said to God, you know, it would work out really well if I could get a job before I deliver this message in a few weeks. because it would really serve, you know, I've been waiting, I've been patient, right? Right, you know? This would really help me out a lot and give me a great illustration for this message. (laughs) (laughs) But it just obviously didn't work that way. Uh, And I came across a, uh, this was just about a week into my job search and I read this uh, Oswald Chambers from my utmost for his highest. We always have a vision of something before it actually becomes real to us. When we realize that the vision is real, but is not yet real in us, Satan comes to us with his temptations, and we are inclined to say that there is no point in even trying to continue. Instead of the vision becoming real to us, we have entered into a valley of humiliation. God gives us a vision, and then he takes us down to the valley to batter us into the shape of that vision. It is in the valley that so many of us give up and faint. Every God-given vision will become real if we will only have patience. Just think of the enormous amount of free time God has. He is never in a hurry, yet we are always in such a frantic hurry. While still in the light of the glory of the vision, we go right out to do things, but the vision is not yet real in us. God has to take us into the valley and put us through fires and floods to batter us into shape until we get to the point where he can trust us with the reality of the vision. Ever since God gave us the vision, he has been at work. He is getting us into the shape of the goal he has for us. And yet over and over again, we try to escape from the sculptor's hand in an effort to batter ourselves into the shape of our own goal. The vision that God gives us is not some unattainable castle in the sky, but a vision of what God wants you to be down here. I needed that. It was God's response to me in my prayer of, gosh, give me a good story, you know, to practice what you preach, you idiot. You cannot be anxious about this. But everything in prayer and petition, supplication and thanksgiving, this ten, this covers all of the emotional bases, you know, if we need something, if we don't need something, but the bottom line is that it needs to be continuous, a continuous connection with God. How does this happen? By being in a constant state of prayer, which can be difficult to do. Uh, But in doing so, verse, what is that? (laughs) Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. To me, that's kind of one of the main points of the gospel, you know, is that God wanted, created us to be in perfect relationship with him and we just didn't get it for a really long time and so he had to become man so that we could get it so that we could get to him through someone that we could really understand and that's promising to me because I have a hard time actually accepting peace and to feel like I'm in a state of constant yearning in pressing toward a goal, that to me makes me feel okay to not be perfect at it and to know that there's something that I'm constantly yearning for that isn't quite there yet. Because if I feel like it's there, then I get too comfortable and then I become weak. But if I'm constantly reaching for something that God wants me to be doing, then our thoughts our thoughts become absorbed in that. In verse 8, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know about you, but my thoughts aren't always this right. <laughs> but I think Paul is setting us up with the right tools we need to at least head on that journey and to at least make our way closer to that in and and continuous connection with God. And then, just as importantly, is our connection with others, because that's where you see this inner focus displayed as a fruitful behavior. He starts out in verse 10 with the word rejoice again, which is how we started the passage. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. So he starts off by rejoicing, commanding the Christian to rejoice in God continuously. And then he follows this up with expressing his rejoicing at the connection that he has with the church. And it's a a great teaching. (laughs) I think it's a great lesson that he expresses here because he's talking about how grateful he is, but he's very, very careful to say, but I really didn't need it. I, I didn't need it. But it's really great that it was there. And, and I think in, in connection, connection with other people, that's where it is that we it's so great to have because a lot of people, Christian or non-Christian, don't feel like they need that. I'm one of those people. I do things on my own to a fault and don't think that I need people. And later on in verse 14, Skipping verse 13, he says, In any case, it was kind of you to share my my distress, bearing one another's burdens, taking on each other's problems. That's, to me, and how I'm seeing this here, we find that in submission. We submit to each other. And if we submit to each other, we truly care about each other's needs. And that shows itself in how well. How we connect to each other based on what is going on on the inside. And just to I wanted to read briefly from Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. It's a good explanation of what submission looks like on a very real and practical level when it comes to engaging with other people. In submission, we are at last free to value other people Their dreams and plans become important to us. We have entered into a new, wonderful, glorious freedom. The freedom to give up our rights for the good of others. For the first time, we can love people unconditionally. We have given up the right to demand that they return our love. No longer do we feel that we have to be treated in a certain way. We rejoice in their successes. We feel genuine sorrow in their failures. It is of little consequence that our plans are frustrated if their plans succeed. We discover that it is far better to serve our neighbor than to have our own way. For those of you who know me at all, you know that I am neurotic about speaking in front of people. And, um, well, about religious things. I can deliver presentations at work, fine. (laughs) this is a big responsibility. (laughs) Um, But this week, I've been in dialogue with people that, you know, know that I'm just deathly afraid of this. And I got three different, I got a text message, a Facebook message, and an email (laughs) from three people who I would have never expected it from. Just words of encouragement, saying, hey, I just want to let you know. Someone actually sent me a prayer that they had found, and one of them was actually out of town and made a point to, you know, send me an email. And, and it, that was just a great example of the, how I really didn't need that, but gosh, was that really good to have. And for me personally, I... like I don't need that enough and I see classic examples of this especially with a lot of the women at the church we've a lot of us been getting to know each other in the last several months and um, I see connection and submission and love and compassion on so many levels it's kind of overwhelming one uh, woman who comes to Artisan. She actually quit her job for it was about six or eight weeks because her sister had a baby and she quit her job to take care of her baby so her sister could go back to work. And who does that? <laughs> I I wouldn't do that. I would like to do that, but I couldn't. It's not practical. And. This particular woman <laughs> doesn't think anything of it. It just comes so naturally to her to just give. And okay, yeah, well, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of broke, and you know, and she and she is, and yes, has it been a financial burden for her? Yes, but that's not the problem. That that's not what she's thinking about. It was so easy for her to say, "I'm going to do this. Of course, I'm going to do this. Why wouldn't I?" And that comes from a very natural <laughs> and inner peace. And that she has really, I mean, she's been a Christian for eight months. And it's radiating out of her. So how do we do all this? How do we connect with God on a continuous Intensely continuous Because if you're constantly connecting with God It really does get intense Um, But it brings about peace And in that Then we ultimately connect with others On a very real level Submitting, loving, caring How do we do all this? (laughs) Well I think that's I have to I have to use verse 13 somehow (laughs) I can do all things through him who strengthens me because we couldn't do it any other way, I know that's for sure. I know I couldn't. I know some some people, me included, wonder what about me if I if I come into church, or I'm listening to this message for one reason or another. I don't really feel the need. I don't feel some hole that I need to fill. I'm okay, I've got my life's in order, I'm happy, I'm content. We sometimes overlook those people because we speak to people in need or we speak to people that are okay and need to be nurtured. But what about the people who really don't think they need it? And I'd, I don't have an answer to that. It's a great question. I don't know that I have an answer to that. I do know that it has proven to be, for me, like the emails that I received this week, something that I never thought that I needed, but I am so glad I have now. In, in retrospect, I can say, wow, I really did need that. Because if it's there, if that connection is there with people, with God, all the time, then it's great to have when things are good because it just makes that joy complete. And it also becomes essential when things are bad. And a perfect example of this twofold, continuous, constant connection between God and others is the example of Jesus Christ. And I think it's important to remember that as we go to table next. And that this is a great way to actually remember how much God wanted connection with us and how Jesus willingly made that connection so that it could be real to us. And I just wanted to read another part of Foster's book. Christ not only died a cross death, he lived a cross life. The way of the cross, the way of a suffering servant was essential to his ministry. Jesus lived the cross life in submission to all human beings. He was the servant of all. He flatly rejected the cultural givens of position and power when he said, you are not to be called rabbi, neither be called masters. Jesus shattered the customs of his day when he lived out the cross life, by taking women seriously and by being willing to meet with children. He lived the cross life when he took a towel and washed the feet of his disciples. This Jesus, who easily could have called down a legion of angels to his aid, chose instead the cross death of Calvary. Jesus' life was the cross life of submission and service. Jesus' death was the cross death of conquest by suffering. That's quite an example to follow. And I wonder, I I wondered how I do that myself, and I think it's a good question to ask ourselves. How do we do that? How do we get rid of the roles and positions and titles with each other within the church, but much more importantly, outside of the church? How do we do that? How do we show this inner connection with God, this outward connection with others? How do we show that? That would be my question and my challenge for me personally and for everybody else. Let's pray. God, thank you for meeting us where we are so that we could connect with you in a very real way and in a very essential way in life. I ask that you would remind us as we leave, to remain connected to you, to remain connected to others. But most importantly, so that our connection with you will radiate and become contagious to everyone we meet, church, non-church, everyone. I ask that you'll just keep keep us in check and that you will constantly encourage us and challenge us to stay connected with you and to each other. Amen.
1: Yeah, thank you, Anna. We want to take some time to respond uh, to, to God's word that, that Anna's brought before us. and um, Before we do that, though, just one of the things that I guess impresses me or inspires a big word I don't want to throw it on lightly but inspires me uh, for, about Anna is is how willing she is to take on challenges you know single mom going back to seminary working with the likes of me and Brian and Mike and Scott and and uh, we you know we throw something at her like hey why don't you preach the last message in this series she's like Okay, and, uh, and steps up and does that. And as much as I appreciated her words of speaking that challenge from, uh, from Philippians of connecting to God and one another and how that's just crucial, those words are rather empty without a life behind them. And that's where Anna preaches. I mean, if we were to ask some of the women here what it's been like the last 6, 9, 12 months with her in the mix officially, you know, what four guys couldn't even begin to do, you know, one volunteer, uh, is really connecting. Uh, and so, that's a challenge to me, and, and I hope to you as well. And so as we begin to respond to those words of scripture, and I think the example that, that Anna very humbly, and in, in a self-effacing way, sets for us of keeping that connection with God clear, and using that to connect with others, be thinking how that works in your life. But one of the great places that uh, just encapsulates that whole concept is at the table of Christ. That sacrament of that last supper where Jesus, as we learned in Philippians chapter 2 a couple weeks ago, you know, came down off his throne, quite literally, to make the connection, to walk amongst us. As we talked about last week, uh, a lot of crap was talked about last week that gets in the way. He pushed that aside to make those connections. Uh, that as we approach this table, and I, my opinion as a pastor, as a follower of Christ, is that the table of Christ is a very open table. That might get me in trouble with some folks. It's okay. But here's how I would describe it. If you are desiring to make more of a connection with God, You even were ten minutes ago, then you're welcome to come to this table. You don't need to have it all figured out. Any more than that screwed up crew of disciples and their friends, and there's probably other women and children, a whole group that were in that room. It wasn't probably wasn't just the twelve. They didn't have it all figured out. How could they? Christ hadn't even gone to the cross yet. So don't sweat those details just yet. But if you find yourself being drawn to taking a step towards Christ, to making that connection. Uh, Then that table is open. And if it would help to pray with a pastor, and Anna certainly fills that role as well, uh, feel free to tap one of us, and we'd we'd be glad to pray with you. Um, But for the remainder of our time of worship, uh, no need to rush while we're singing songs, while we're doing our stuff. This table will be open, and you are invited to come up and tear a piece of bread that symbolizes that broken body of Christ, Christ taking on our humanity and dip it in the wine or the juice that are labeled, symbolizing the price that was paid to make that connection again between us and God and to allow us to have a connection with one another. Take and eat that to nourish and strengthen you, to make those connections. Let's pray again. So God, we do pray that, that you would help us uh, in this life to be connected to you and connected to one another. And we thank you for the price you've paid, uh, for the joy that we see here in these scriptures, that regardless of circumstances, that if that connection with you is there, and if we're seeking to connect others with you and each other as well, that we will find incredible joy, regardless of the circumstances. So help us continue to worship and respond, and to receive from you what we need to be your people at work in the world. Help make that connection, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Respond as God leads. And uh, make those connections. Amen.